Hi, I'm Jennifer Z, and welcome to the Jennifer Z Plant-Based and Happy Podcast. Here's what you can expect from listening to Jennifer Z Plant-Based and Happy. My true passion is all about helping educate you, the listener, on food, fitness, and wellness. I educate through my own story and experiences on a multitude of topics, including inflammatory conditions, women's health, plant-based nutrition, fitness, and mindfulness. It's designed to teach you how you can become your most powerful self every single day. From interviews with today's top health, fitness, wellness, and spiritual experts, this podcast is a fun and happy atmosphere. So sit back and enjoy some of the amazing interviews that I have with experts and people who have completely transformed their lives through plant-based nutrition, fitness, and wellness. And if you love this podcast and would love to see it grow with even more incredible episodes, you now have the opportunity to support the Jennifer Z podcast by visiting jenniferz.com forward slash podcast. That's J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R-Z-E-E.com forward slash P-O-D-C-A-S-T. This helps me amp up the podcast finding more incredible guests while increasing the number of episodes being published. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the Jennifer Z community. Today on the Jennifer Z Plant-Based and Happy podcast, I am super excited because I have both Dr. Dean Ornish and his amazing and incredible wife, Anne Ornish. Dr. Dean Ornish is the founder and president of the nonprofit Preventative Medicine Research Institute, clinical professor of medicine at the University of California, San Francisco, and the author of six books all national bestsellers. He has received numerous honors, including the Outstanding Young Alumnus Award from the University of Texas, Austin, and the National Public Health Hero Award from the University of California, Berkeley. Dr. Ornish was recognized as a Time 100 innovator by Life Magazine as one of the 50 most influential members of his generation by people as one of the most interesting people of the year, and by Forbes as one of the world's seven most powerful teachers. Anne Ornish is Vice President of Program Development at the nonprofit Preventative Medicine Research Institute. She is the creator of the Ornish Lifestyle Medicine digital platform, including Ornish.com and Empower, a turnkey learning management system that trains healthcare professionals and participants throughout the country. Anne has more than 25 years of advanced training in yoga and meditation and was featured on the cover of Yoga Journal. I am super stoked to be sharing this episode with you because we got to touch on so many different topics. Primarily, we talked about stress and chronic stress and how that manifests into chronic illness and disease and ways to prevent this. We talk about our perspective of stress and how that affects us. And we also got to talk about Alzheimer's disease because I know that a lot of my listeners out there 
either have a family member or a friend or know someone who has been affected by this terrible disease. So we're talking about preventative measures. And then finally, we are talking about how to eat well, how to move more, stress less, and love more. And those are all of the components of Dr. Dean Ornish and Ann Ornish's new book called Undo It. So without further ado, let's get started. Hello, Anne and Dr. Dean Ornish. Thank you both so much for coming on the show. This is actually Dr. Dean Ornish's second time on the podcast, and this is Anne Ornish's very first time on the Jennifer Z. Plant-Based and Happy podcast. So thank you so much, both of you, for coming on. It's our great pleasure. So happy to be here. Oh, it's wonderful to have you both. So Dr. Ornish, you talk a lot about the perception of stress in your most recent book, Undo It. And I know that as individuals, we all deal with stress differently. Um, So I'd like to talk a little bit about this because we've all heard of the A-type personality and the A-type personality would deal with stress quite differently than a B-type personality. But let's just talk about the actual perception of stress and how it affects us regardless of personality type or anything like that? Sure. Um, you know, this might be a good question for Anne, though, if uh, you want to talk about that. Um, we, we do our yin-yang um, <laughs> answering of that. Oh, I absolutely. Guess, yeah, I could um, start by saying, you know, something that um, I experience very dynamically every day, um, and it's because it's a practice, stress management. There's one, what we'll, we'll talk about, which is the Uh, understanding it better but really the benefits come from the practice of it and what I mean is that we all have stress and stress isn't going away because we can't control everything around us but what we can control is how we react to it how we relate to it and respond to it with our behaviors and so you know that's sort of the two-sided we might have the same job the same uh, commute these kinds of external dynamics, um, again, we can't change. However, the really, really empowering and uh, side of that is that we have so much more choice as to how we relate to it. So it's not just, stress isn't just from what happens to us, but more important, how we react to it. So a, a potentially stressful situation won't bother you as much if you just take the time to practice simple stress management techniques throughout your day. Obviously, what we practice in our, at our clinics is one hour of uh, different kinds of gentle stretching, breath awareness, meditation, imagery. These are the tools that we, we teach and they are progressive as we, they get, uh, we deepen them with time. So an hour gives exponential benefits and at the same time isn't essential. We can just practice you know, three relaxing breaths between say calls or tasks in a given day. And that anchors us so that we have, I feel like for me, it feels like a, a buffer space so that I have I can remember and practice a, a moment, a, a sacred pause moment before reflexively reacting in a stressful uh, way that might um, is unproductive, 
It might be off-putting to those around me, family, friends, colleagues. But by just having that little buffer to pause and remember that I have choice as to what I do next, how I'm going to relate to what's happening around me. That's that moment of taking the reins back of my life. And instead of life happening to me, I'm skillfully choosing how I want to live my life. Right. And, and you talk a little bit in the book about abdominal breathing. Um, and, you know, before I decided to uh, take restorative yoga, so I was doing a lot of weightlifting and stuff like that, I really had no idea what abdominal breathing was all about. I mean, I learned in public school way back when, when we were learning to sing, but um, it, it brought a whole new meaning to not just my yoga practice, which I'm still fairly new at, but all other aspects of my life and even weightlifting and things like that, but just um, especially when I'm meditating. So can you expand a little bit on that? Because I think I mean, if I didn't know about it, I think some of our listeners may not know exactly what, it, what the technique of abdominal breathing is and how it benefits us. Sure. Happy to. You know, I th- the breath is, I think, the most readily accessible and powerful tool that we have for stress management because it can be as simple as one breath can retone how we're feeling inside and how we react next. So when we talk about abdominal breathing, another way to think about it is a three-part breath. So often we, as we go around our our day, especially when we start moving fast, we get a little stressed, we often have a shallow breath. So at best, the breath is coming in through our mouth, maybe going down into our throat, uh, maybe the top of our chest, but really remaining shallow and rapid which then translates to the the tone of thoughts um, in our mind and the feelings feel more racy. um, Mm. We have less clarity and centeredness. And so the benefit of practicing abdominal breathing or three-part breath is that we elongate the length of breath And we also expand the breath into deeper into our body, into the three sections of, we bring it into our mouth, we keep that in-breath moving down into our lungs, into our chest, and all the way into our belly. So you can almost think of the breath as if like, if you can visualize pouring a glass of milk into a glass. And as it goes down the side of the glass, And then as it reaches the bottom of the glass and sort of swooshes down, that's like the the breath coming down into the belly and hitting the bottom of the glass. And then it rises up as the, such as the milk uh, filling the glass. The breath comes down on the in-breath, comes down through the throat, the lungs and the chest, all the way down into the belly, and then fills the whole central cavity of the the body with that breath before releasing it again in those three parts in reverse from the belly through the chest and out through the uh, throat and mouth eventually, or nostrils are even better. Right. And that type of breathing has actually changed my entire life because now that I'm more mindful of it, I start catching myself throughout the day 
with those shallow breaths that you were talking about. And so just being able to sort of redirect that my breathing has really helped me be able to uh, set the tone again or reset the tone, so to speak. Precisely. You know, and also, you know, the breath is a link between the mind and the body. So it both reflects and changes how you feel. So when you're feeling stressed, as you mentioned, you tend to breathe slow, uh, fast and shallow. When you're feeling more relaxed, you tend to breathe more slowly and deeply, as Anne was saying. But by forcing yourself to breathe more slowly and deeply, it actually helps you to feel more relaxed. So it goes in both directions. Right, exactly. And I find that, you know, stress today seems to be coming more chronic than, let's say, 50 years ago when life's demands were not as hectic or uh, today it seems like we're working longer hours and we're spreading ourselves way too thin. We're, we, we're double booking ourselves for certain things. And, you know, we're seeing this manifest into chronic illnesses and disease. But what types of diseases are you seeing crop up that can be linked in some way to chronic stress? Well, all diseases, really. Um, the theme of our new book, Undo It, is that we, you know, I've, we've been doing work in this area for over four decades. And the book starts with one of my favorite quotes from Albert Einstein, which says, if you can't make it simple, you don't understand it well enough. And so we tried to reduce it down to its essence. Eat well, move more, stress less, love more. Boom, that's it. And the more diseases we study and the more underlying mechanisms biologically that we look at, the more scientific evidence we have to show why these simple changes are so powerful and how quickly people can, can get better. And it kind of led to this new radical unifying theory that we present in our new book, which is that I was trained, like all doctors, to view heart disease and diabetes and prostate cancer and Alzheimer's as being fundamentally different diseases with different diagnoses and different treatments. But I really have come to believe that they're all the same disease manifesting and masquerading in different forms because they all share the same underlying biological mechanisms. These include things like chronic emotional stress, but also, I mean, sorry, things, things like uh, oxidative stress, chronic inflammation, changes in the microbiome, the 100 trillion cells that live inside us, and uh, gene expression, and, and uh, angiogenesis, and telomeres, and so on. And each one of these mechanisms is directly influenced by what we eat, how we respond to stress, how much exercise we get, and how much love and support we have. And it's so you don't have to learn one set of stress management techniques or one sort of exercise or one type of diet or so on for treating or preventing one kind of disease. It's really the same for all of them. So it's, it's radically simple. And we showed for the first time that we could actually not only help prevent, but actually reverse most of these chronic diseases. I mean, when people get put on drugs to lower their blood pressure or their cholesterol or their blood sugar, and they say, doctor, how long do I have to take these? The doctor usually says forever. Right. Uh, you know, it's like when, when we lecture, we usually show a cartoon I had drawn decades ago of doctors busily mopping up the floor around a sink that's overflowing, but nobody's turning off the faucet. It's like, how long do I have to mop up the floor? Like forever. Well, why don't we just turn off the faucet? In other words, when we treat the cause, which are really eat well, move more, stress less, love more, what continues to impress me and surprise me is that our bodies often have this remarkable capacity to begin healing and much more quickly than we had once realized when we can treat the cause. So under their doctor's supervisions, most people can reduce or often even get off of these drugs that they were told they'd have to take forever, which is very empowering for them. Oh, absolutely. And one of the things that I've read about is that with chronic stress, our levels of adrenaline and cortisol increase, and then they stay elevated. Uh, 
especially with when stress is more chronic. Um, and then this can lead to a decrease in testosterone. So basically what I'm getting at is for men, especially chronic stress can lead to muscle loss and then fat gain. You often see it in the abdominal area. Um, and then that can come with a whole host of issues in itself. But can we talk a little bit about the dangers to men's health related to chronic stress and having that elevated cortisol level? If I could just add that it's not only men. Um, I see this um, as often in women as I do in men, that mm -hmm. sort of tube around the belly area, which is um, not only um, stress, but often emotional stress. Yes. So being able to be in touch with our own authentic feelings, let alone the ability to, um, ex to express, to share, to feel seen and heard by others. Yeah, chronic stress can, can, can cause all the things that you mentioned, even erectile dysfunction when you have lower testosterone uh, due to chronic stress. Um, but the good news is there was a wonderful study that uh, really supports what Anne was saying about that we can't always control what's happening to us, but we have a lot more control over how we react to it than we might realize. So it's very empowering. And there was a study that was done by Elizabeth Blackburn and Alyssa Eppelin. Dr. Blackburn got the Nobel Prize for her pioneering work with discovering telomeres, the ends of our chromosomes that regulate how long we live. They're like the plastic tips on the ends of a shoelace that keep your shoelace from unraveling. They actually keep our DNA from unraveling. And as they replicate over the years, they tend to get shorter. And as our telomeres get shorter, our lives get shorter. And the risk of all these different diseases, just another example of how they're all interrelated, goes up proportionate to that. So she found that women, and, and by the way, we did the first study together showing that we could actually uh, lengthen telomeres and in a sense reverse aging at a cellular level. But she did an earlier study where they found that women who were under chronic emotional stress because they were taking care of kids who had autism or parents with Alzheimer's, the more stress they reported feeling and the longer they felt that way, the shorter their telomeres were. And when they compared the high stress and the low stress women, they, they found that it, the stress women had a shortened lifespan of nine to 17 years shorter just from the stress. Wow. But so it shows you how powerful stress can be, but don't get too stressed out hearing that because um, what they found was that it wasn't an objective measure of stress that determined its effect on the women's survival. It was actually their perception of it, as Anne was saying earlier. So you could have two women in very similar life situations, but one was coping with it better. They were eating well, moving more, stressing less, loving more by doing all the kinds of things that we talk about in our, in our new book on Do It and they could buffer the effects of that stress. And so even if you have a situation like a kid with autism where you, you can't do anything about it, you're, you, know, you, you have the kid that you have to raise them, there's a lot we can do to help mitigate that. And one of the things that Anne talks about so beautifully is another way of, of buffering or mitigating that stress is having a strong sense of, of meaning and purpose in our lives. So you wanna expand on that a bit? Well, this kind of is an overarching, uh, you know, with the whole lifestyle, um, in addition to stress, which is something that we're so familiar with. And yet, uh, when we talk about this uh, lifestyle medicine program and living longer, um, it's not to be assumed that everybody wants to live longer. Um, depression, anxiety, these are epidemic in our society today. And so even deeper, even more central to the question of changing one's behaviors and adopting this lifestyle medicine program 
is starts with a very personal question, which only each of us can answer for ourselves, which is, why do you want to live longer and better? Mm -hmm. So as we each for ourselves reflect on what arises for us when we think about the, the moments, the experiences, and the people with whom we feel the most alive, with whom we want to live longer and better, that inspire us to thrive with each choice that we're making. It's, um, you know, often we'll do things for those that we love that we wouldn't even do for ourselves. So whether it's something that, uh, a goal that we, that you have, uh, for, for me, um, a really big driver is wanting to be the healthiest version of myself so that one, I'm modeling that for our kids. Um, I want to see them as they get, as they go through their life to, to discover what their curiosities are, what their passions are, to find love. I want to see and be there for those milestones in their life while I'm able to keep up with them and participate in that. Um, you know, I, my, both of my parents have unfortunately passed due to, to cancer. They fought um, really big fights and because of living this lifestyle, we're able to extend um, their diagnoses for years. Um, and so I can, I've seen how uh, powerful uh, this lifestyle medicine program can be as far as their life extension um, and the quality of those kind of bonus years that we were able to get with one another. And um, it's made it deeply meaningful for me to live this way because I want to have as many bonus <laughs> um, years where I'm thriving to live the life that I love with those that I love. And we all have our own version of that. And that imbues these choices with meaning and therefore makes these choices sustainable, this way of living sustainable and, and meaningful. I love, that, I love that you mentioned about you know, living to be an example for your children, because I think a lot of women, especially, they try to um, be an example for their children, or they try to get their kids to eat healthy and make sure that they're okay. Meanwhile, these poor mothers are eating whatever they can pick up on the way out the door. And I think that it's so important to, I never really pushed plant-based food on my stepchildren, but I, luckily I'm the sole cook in my house. However, I just led by example and it really has translated into their lives because there are certain foods that are available in the refrigerator and they're available at eye level. They can grab them and it's food that I'm also eating. So I'm not just trying to tell my poor stepchildren that this is how they should eat to be healthy. I'm also eating that way. And instead of being one of like that type of voice, that's like, no, you should do this. There's really no need for me to have to tell them how to eat because that's how I'm eating and it's available to them and they just navigate to it naturally. Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, we used to laugh at, um, <laughs> parents when they, as I was growing up, it, sort of um, do as I say, not as I do. Yes. And 
hysterical. Um, <laughs> and, and yet it's so powerful because it's, it's pre-verbal, it's subconscious. Um, and it's really at the helm most of the time is, you know, kind of this mimicry of, of not only what we see our parents doing as we grow up, but the, the people we choose to be around. Um, we all mirror each other's behaviors. And so um, much more powerful than speaking about these things is living them as far as, you know, wanting to have the most powerful impact on those with, that we love. Right. Absolutely. And the same thing has happened for my extended family as well. I mean, I never really pushed being plant-based on anyone. I did it for my own personal reasons, for health reasons. And it sort of just ended up trickling down to everyone else in my family. And now ha I would say three quarters of my family is now plant-based. So it's, it's definitely yeah. awesome. It really is powerful. So let's talk a little bit about Alzheimer's because I know that there are people in my family who have been affected by it. And I'm sure that many of our listeners have someone in their family or know someone who's experienced this disease. And you mentioned in your book that inflammation is an important underlying cause of the disease. And while I was reading that, I began thinking that a diet high in fats, refined sugar, dairy, processed food, that has a lot to do with an increase of inflammation, even chronic inflammation. So if we're consuming these on a regular basis, then we're definitely creating this chronic inflammation in our body. So can we assume that diet plays a larger role than many people may think? Uh, when it comes to Alzheimer's? Well, it's not assuming. It's actually been shown that uh, it plays an important role. And mm -hmm. it, it's a, a diet is especially important in terms of inflammation. And it's not just the fat and the, the sugar, but actually the animal protein itself has been shown to be a very powerful factor in inflammation. We need to get past this whole fat versus carbs debate. The animal protein, right. particularly from red meat, is very inflammatory. And inflammation is an important mechanism, but so are the other ones that we talked about, uh, oxidative stress and overstimulation of the sympathetic nervous system, uh, changes in the microbiome. You know, your, your gut actually produces amyloid and many of the neurotransmitters. Uh, changes in telomeres and gene expression. People with shorter telomeres have much higher rates of Alzheimer's disease, just one of many examples. And so I think we're at a place with Alzheimer's very similar to where we were with heart disease when I first started doing work over 40 years ago. In other words, the mechanisms are the same, the epidemiology is the same. People who have Alzheimer's, if you have heart disease, you have a much higher risk of getting Alzheimer's or high blood pressure, et cetera. Uh, and the less intensive interventions have been shown to slow the rate of progression of Alzheimer's, just like they were with heart disease 40 years ago. I believe that a more intensive intervention may actually reverse it. And that would be especially meaningful if that were to occur. First, my mom died of Alzheimer's, so it runs in my family. But more than that, there are no drugs that are, no effective drugs for either treating or for preventing Alzheimer's. And so if we could show that we could actually reverse it, then that means we can prevent it. And that would give literally millions and millions of people around the world new hope and new choices. So we are in the middle now of the first randomized trial to see whether intensive lifestyle changes, our lifestyle medicine program, the same one that's described in our new book and undo it, can actually reverse the progression of Alzheimer's. And so um, it's obviously, we can't talk about it, you know, the, the outcomes now because we're in the middle of it. Right. But I'm cautiously optimistic and I hope that we'll be able to show that. Um, whatever we show, it'll be of interest. Even if we show it shows it does nothing, that'll be important for people to know. But my clear bias going into this based on the animal studies, the epidemiological data, the less intensive interventions in humans and so on, 
that a more intensive intervention we're hoping may actually be able to reverse its progression. Right. And you mentioned um, about the animal protein uh, is one that is inflammatory, but can we also talk about other types of food that an individual with Alzheimer's should start avoiding right now? Well, again, I think what's true for Alzheimer's is true for all these conditions. So it's the same lifestyle recommendations. You know, a lot of people are talking about personalized diets, personalized medicine, and so on. And I think, you know, Anne's dad, who had pancreatic cancer, if they could develop a targeted immunotherapy, that's awesome. But for the vast majority of chronic diseases, including but by no means limited to Alzheimer's, it's the same diet and lifestyle intervention for all of them. And so it's the same foods you want to get more of, you know, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, have literally hundreds of thousands of protective substances that are that have anti-cancer, anti-heart disease, uh, anti-diabetes, anti-Alzheimer's uh, substances. Mm -hmm. um, and they're very low in the things that promote, for example, chronic inflammation and oxidative stress and so on, things we've been talking about. Uh, animal protein, particularly in red meat, uh, sugar and other refined carbohydrates, processed foods and so on, are all ones that are, are bad for you in that sense. And so when you go from a typical American, standard American diet, great acronym of SAD diet, to a whole foods plant-based diet that's low in fat and sugar and, and, and so on, you're really getting a double benefit because you're not only not eating the foods that promote all these chronic diseases, but you're getting hundreds of thousands of others that are actually protective. Right. And besides the food, so like besides making the dietary changes, uh, what, what other types of things can somebody with Alzheimer's do to manage those symptoms? Like, are there certain brain exercises? I know that light is, is a thing. Um, well, again, I think it's the same for all of these conditions. Exercise clearly has been shown. I mean, one study showed that just walking for a half an hour a day in three months caused actually so many new brain neurons to grow in a process called neurogenesis that people's brains actually got bigger in ways that you could measure using MRI scanners. And particularly those parts of your brain that you want to get bigger, like your hippocampus that controls memory. You know, a lot of people, as they get older, whether they have early Alzheimer's or just, you know, early other kinds of types of dementia, they start to think like, what was that person's name? And mm -hmm. where did I leave my keys and all that? Well, a lot of that may be reversible. Uh, by not only making the diet changes, but exercising, meditating, and so on. And, you know, interestingly, in Alzheimer's, uh, those, except in the very final stages, it's not that your brain dies, it's rather you lose the connection to those memories. Uh, and I believe that anything that also brings us together, the love more part of our book, we haven't really talked about that much, but that's as important as anything. You know, study after study have shown that people who are lonely and depressed are three to 10 times more likely to get sick and die prematurely from all causes, including but not limited to Alzheimer's, than those who have a sense of love and connection and community. And I, my, one of my weird theories is that uh, the, the, when we can bring people together uh, and, and communicate in ways that create a sense of intimacy, uh, it may help our, our brains to get more reconnected to those neurons that people have, have, have lost to. And, and Anne speaks very eloquently about this. You want to, to build on that? Yeah, I think that, um, again, this is a, a, a deeply personal inside job. And when we talk about love more, it begins with self-love and self-care. Um, you know, I, Maya Angelou talks about, she says, something along the lines of, you know, be wary of the person who says that I love you if they don't love themselves. Because it's almost impossible um, to truly and authentically 
um, and unconditionally love others if we can't love ourselves in that same spirit and depth. Agreed. And so, you know, again, when we get back to sort of the, the starting block of, of lifestyle, choosing um, the way we live, it comes from one asking, why do I want to live longer? And that coming from a place of loving ourselves enough to even ask the question and to sincerely listen to the answer which um, you know, evolves over time. We sort of have ones that are with us throughout a lifetime. And then we have ones that um, are most powerfully and potently felt in, in given moments, moment to moment in our lives. The important part that we always start with in, in our clinics when we have our groups, group support circles, we begin by going around in the circle and asking everyone to have a moment of personal reflection so that we begin by anchoring into that self-awareness of and, and a sense of a spirit of curiosity and compassion to hold a space for ourselves to say, hmm, check in. How am I feeling right now? Authentically. It starts sometimes, it often in our, especially in our culture, starts with thoughts. So we have to peel yeah. back sort of the onion uh, to get to the core feeling um, at the root of the mental chatter. But once we can get it to a feeling state, like scared or excited um, and everything in between, when we can kind of identify what that uh, primary core felt feeling in our hearts is, then that opens the door for us to hear and sense other people and how they're feeling. And then that's what truly connects us. And that's where, um, as Dean's talking about in the context of Alzheimer's, but really all of these chronic diseases, is that it decalcifies. It, it decalcifies areas that um, are restricting, say, blood flow to the heart, um, to the brain with stroke, to erectile dysfunction. All of those areas that are affected sort of, it, it opens up the, the, the streams, the rivers um, of, of throughout our body. And uh, likewise, it, it um, turns on those parts of the brain that otherwise are dimmed because they're um, drowned out by the mental chatter. And the tuning in to how we're feeling, it's like turning this light bulb on that illuminates the whole rest of, the, of our being. Right. And you know what? I can attest to that as well, because before getting diagnosed with endometriosis, um, I was not incorporating self-care. I was incorporating fitness, but I definitely wasn't incorporating the plant-based nutrition aspect of it. And it wasn't until I incorporated all three of those things, which is eat well, move more, and love more, um, even, even though it was a little more self-love, that's when not only did I reduce the symptoms of my endometriosis, but my entire life changed. Well, you know, our, our heart teaches us that. I mean, let me give you a, a, a question, which is to which organ does your heart pump blood first? Where does your heart pump blood first? <laughs> to... Is it to no, your most stomach? People, most people say, what were you saying? To your stomach? You no, know, most people think it's your stomach or your brain or your lungs. Or, I was going to say brain too. You know, but it actually pumps blood to itself first. 
um, through the coronary arteries. And if they get clogged up and the heart can't feed itself, then the heart dies and everyone else dies too. I mean, every, the rest of your body dies too. It's kind of like when you're on a plane and they say if the oxygen mask should drop down, put it on yourself first because you can put it yes. on your little head and you'll pass out and they won't know what to do. So is that a selfish thing that the heart pumps blood to itself first? No. Um, we need to get past this whole idea of is it selfish or unselfish. Is that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as uh, Sage once said in the Talmud, if, if I'm not for myself, who will be? If I'm only for myself, who am I? In other words, the heart takes pumps blood to itself so that it can take care of the rest of the body. Uh, it's a beautiful metaphor. It's kind of like Anne was saying earlier. You know, it begins with self-love, not in a narcissistic, selfish way, but you can't give what you don't have. And so the more you love yourself, the more love you have to give others. The more you can forgive yourself and have compassion for yourself, the more you can forgive and have compassion for others as well. And that's incredible. I love that metaphor. And I want to thank you. And I want to thank Anne Ornish for coming on the podcast. You both are amazing. If you guys haven't already picked up the book, Undo It, I say do it right now because that book changed my life as well. Um, one piece of advice that you would like to give our listeners before you leave today. Eat well, move more, stress less, love more. Boom. That's it. Incredible. (laughs) And how about you, Anne? To imbue your choices with meaning, to have the spirit of curiosity and compassion from the inside out, uh, to just remain in touch with your heart. Love it. Thank you both so much for coming on. Uh, Thanks for being a bright light in the darkness. We're very grateful. Thank you. The best way to spread the word about the amazing benefits of healthy living through plant-based food, fitness, and wellness is to share it with your friends and family. You can do this in person or through the various social media platforms out there. I'm so thankful for each and every like, share, and comment. And if you're looking for more food, fitness, and wellness inspos, please visit thejenniferz.com website. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the Jennifer Z community. And until next time, stay happy, healthy, and plant-based.